Uh, we're going to be in the book of Mark today, Mark 11, so I invite you to turn there if you've got a Bible with you. Uh, we're going to look at a strange story uh, that has a connection to Friendswood uh, because it's all about figs, and that's how Friendswood got started. You folks in Pearland, you know about pears. Uh, we know about figs here in Friendswood, and that's what we're going to look at today, Mark 11. But before we get there, I want to talk to you about some exciting things that prayerfully will happen um, by Easter of next year, hopefully. I, I'm going to practice what I preach today. I'm going to name it and claim it. Uh, that was a joke, mostly. Uh, but... Uh, you may have, um, I, not many of you did, because I see how many people watch our videos uh, that we put out, but some of you saw a video I put out this week that actually had a sneak peek of what our commons is going to look like, and so I want to show it to you today uh, about what our commons, that building that's going to go in the front uh, right here. So this is a view from the front door, so if you've parked in our brand new parking lot, walked across the street, or you got dropped off in our beautiful new portacache, uh, and walked in. That's what you would see. So where our logo is uh, on the big back wall there, that's behind that is the fellowship hall. And for all of you that are good readers, especially if you turn your head sideways, uh, it says two building B. So that doorway is actually this hallway uh, right here uh, behind our transept over here. And then to the right is building A behind that wall. To the left is a sanctuary. And then if you're standing outside of building A, the next image will kind of show you uh, looking towards the worship center, the red brick or uh, the reddish brick is the tower, and that's how you'll walk uh, into and through the foyer, our current foyer, and then an extension. And so that's a look from building A toward uh, the worship center. And then if you happen to actually come to worship that day, and it's like, hey, I want to love Jesus today and be a part of church, and you're standing in the brand new extended foyer, uh, that's looking back towards the tower uh, and uh, into the commons to the left there where those wood columns are, that's in our current gigantic foyer uh, in there, and, and then right into here. And so uh, the thing that excites me about all of that uh, is not so much the cool logo on the wall and the colors and the bright, airy, like sunshine. Uh, what excites me is all those CGI people uh, that will be here, uh, because that's why we're doing this, not so we can have a cool building and a great tower and lots of awesome space. We're doing it so that people will find connection and hope here, and so I'm thrilled about that. And because I haven't said it in a few weeks, uh, I want to remind you about why we're here and what we're doing and where we're going. Uh, if Again, I haven't said it in at least two weeks, I know, but we're here to prepare and send disciple-making missionaries, that's you uh, and me, uh, to strengthen families, to invest in our families, to love our neighbors well, and to transform the community with the gospel, uh, not to show them how cool we are, how much we know about figs or pears, uh, to impress them with our car or our house, our education or our job. No, it's to give them the hope of Jesus Christ with the gospel. And we do that really kind of a three-pronged approach as we look at these next uh, five five to seven years, now five years, it was seven, uh, through community impact. That's why we did this thing called Missional Pathway. We've talked about it a bunch. We're going to continue to do that so that you can find a way. You can find the ways in which God has shaped you over your lifetime. How has he moved in your life? Where, what has he taught you about those great things and the bad things that have happened in your life so that you can connect with people in a unique way? 
Because you see how God has answered your prayers, how God has taught you things, and how we as a people can not only do that as individuals, but also collectively as a church and partner with other organizations in our community, whether that's a school or, or a nonprofit organization to help advance the gospel, to, to make a difference in our community. And then to create a space for our neighbors, kind of that, a lot of that is the facility stuff, but it's also you and I reaching the 61,000 people that live uh, within seven miles of here. That, that we would do that, that we would have the parking space, that we would have a place for you and I to connect with one another uh, when we are here and that we can have a space to invite folks to and they know exactly where to come and be a part of. And so that's why I'm ex- thrilled about what we're doing with the commons and the extension on the front of the worship center here. And then finally, church planting, because we know that as awesome uh, as we are uh, here at First Baptist, uh, and I said this to the first hour, and, and I'll say it to you, if I had a choice, don't read anything into this, okay? Take it at face value. If I were to name our church and it wasn't First Baptist Friends, it would be Tri-County Church because we are uniquely situated at Galveston County, Harris County, and Brazoria County. We're in a unique place right here where these three counties converge. That's great news. That's awesome stuff. But the reality is there's a ton of people who are moving all around us kind of just beyond that seven miles that we have an opportunity to reach for the gospel. If you've looked at any of Galveston County or particularly League City's development plan, everything from the south side of Magnolia Creek, Westover Park, and Westwood, where I know some of you live, uh, all the way to 517, in less than 10 years, that's going to be neighborhood after neighborhood after neighborhood, where all those commercial nurseries are. Why wouldn't God want us to be a part of planting a work there for the gospel. And so I'm excited about the future that God has for us. I'm looking forward to that. Uh, But we need everybody involved. Uh, Last week, uh, we gathered commitment cards. Some of you were here. Some of you weren't here. Some of you mailed yours in. Some of you are like, hey, pastor, uh, we're just going to keep giving. Like we gave to prepare the way back in 2020, and we're just going to keep giving. Awesome, wonderful, but please tell us that. Because we need to plan, uh, because buildings, last time I checked, weren't free. Uh, I wish they were, but they're not. And so we need to know so that we can plan appropriately. So if you have not filled out a commitment card, please do that. Even if you gave before and you're going to keep giving at the same level, that's why the baskets are here today, here, and in the foyer, and upstairs in the balcony for all you spiritual people up there. Uh, And so be a part, join in. Uh, We've had over 100 families already uh, say yes and and commit to that. We need about a thousand more. So uh, join join the gang, join join the team. We're excited about that. But today, as we think about the cool images uh, that we saw this morning, uh, just a few minutes ago about what the commons could look like, as we think about how we're going to advance the gospel, I want us to focus our attention this morning on our faith, our own faith. And how we respond to God through life circumstances. Uh, you, you may have been in Texas last year in February when we had the freeze. Uh, and many of you lost power for days and a lot of us couldn't have water and it was a mess and it, it, it was crazy times. But I think about that time and I think about Christmas So just about every year at Christmas, uh, we have azaleas in our front yard. Uh, You might have azaleas because they seem to work well in Texas. Uh, We have azaleas in the front yard. And oftentimes in December, those azaleas will bloom. 
Because at Christmas, it's often 72 and sunny here in southeast Texas. But then those azaleas will get a false start because they think, oh, it's warm weather, it's wonderful, it's nice, and then welcome to the one month of winter here um, in Houston between January 15th and about February 15th, everything dies because it gets frozen. It wasn't the right season for them to bloom. They, they missed it. They mistimed it. Have you ever thought about you just sort of missed the timing, you missed the season, it was just something off, your birthday's in September and your parents throw you a surprise party in July. That didn't quite make sense. We would all love that, but it's kind of weird. The, the worst thing would be is your birthday's in September and they throw it in November. That would be the worst option. But timing matters. Seasons matter. And oftentimes nature follows a pattern, and we have patterns even in our own lives. Many of you get up around the same time every day, and you try to go to bed at the same time every day. You participate in many of the same activities, and there's a rhythm to life. And when that rhythm gets off, things are challenging. Or when something happens that you don't expect, it takes you aback. Well, today in the passage, we're going to look at Mark 11, there, there's this tree that Jesus points out, and, and it's not the right time for that tree, but Jesus is undeterred by timing, by season, the fact that it, it's not quite ready, because he has a bigger point to make, a, a broader task to address than simply when do fig trees bloom. And I know all of you that live in Friendswood, you know exactly when figs should bloom because that's how we, our county, our city started, was on fig, the fig industry. You guys in Pearland, you know all about pears, don't you? Because that's supposedly how Pearland started. You need to Google it and read it because there's lots of controversy. They think a guy swindled everybody in believing that pears are really exciting, but who knows? But Jesus is worried about figs today. So look at Mark 11, verse 12. It says this. This is Jesus' last week on earth. Okay, this is the last week of his life. And he's walking after everyone shouted, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the king. They're all excited, and he's walking after that episode. And they come to Bethany, and he was hungry. Verse 13, and seeing in the distance a fig a fig tree in leaf. He went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. So after he does that, they walk into town and he goes to the temple and he sees all these guys selling things and he gets frustrated and angry and he turns over all the tables and said this is my house and my house shall be called a house of prayer and he runs out all these merchants who are stealing in essence from the people in the name of God and he runs them all out and I'm confident Jesus didn't have those nice lightweight plastic tables that we have today probably stone tables that he's turning over in his righteous anger. 
And then after he does that, he comes back and he and his disciples are walking again and they pass this tree. So let's pick it up in verse 20. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. That's a strange answer to a non-question. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. This is an odd episode here. Again, this is Jesus's last week before his crucifixion. And so just that alone seems odd to me that he's worried about a fig tree. But he passes this fig tree. And for all of you that are from Pearland and League City who don't know about figs, figs actually ripen in May and June. So that's when we get figs. This was March or April, Passover season, so March or April, so figs weren't quite ripe yet. So one of the great clues in this passage to understand that this was a symbolic act, this was an act with a greater meaning, meaning was that Mark says the fig tree was not in season. That's the clue to us to help us understand that Jesus had a much greater meaning here than just killing a fig tree. That he wasn't angry or mad at nature, but he was teaching a lesson because then he goes to the temple and teaches an even bigger lesson that is related at the same time. And so even though the fig tree would not have had figs on it at this point, it would have had little blossoms. And those blossoms are actually edible. And so that's what Jesus was looking for, those edible blossoms. But they weren't there. They hadn't arrived yet. The tree was in leaf. It looked pretty. But it wasn't bearing fruit. I wonder if that's true of any of us. We look pretty, but we're not really bearing fruit. That that our life looks good on the exterior, but God wants us to do so much more, to be so much more. And so this passage of the cursing, as Peter says it, of the fig tree and the next episode of him cleansing the temple are these hyperboles, these strange and dramatic acts of Jesus to share one thing, that for the nation of Israel, judgment is coming because you look good on the outside, but your hearts are empty. You're dead on the inside. And so the fact that Jesus was hungry is rather incidental. It does help us understand that he was fully human. (laughs) But that cursing of the fig tree and him driving out those merchants is a prophetic act so that we would see today 
Lord, how we come to you, how our faith looks, how our inner person looks matters a lot more than how we present ourselves. And we can have shiny, beautiful leaves. We can have a picturesque building. But if our hearts aren't tuned to you, it doesn't matter. We're dead. And your hand has been removed from us. And so Jesus, in his last week on earth, is helping us to see the inside matters a lot more than the outside. You might remember, if you're somewhere between 30 and 50 years old um, in the room, this great show uh, on a network called MTV. It stands for Music Television. They don't really play music on it anymore, which is kind of strange to have a title called music television and you don't play music. But back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s, they played music on it and they had some shows. But there was an amazing show uh, that was hosted by a tremendous artist named Exhibit. It was called Pimp My Ride. (laughs) I, I knew once I said it, some of you would be excited about that. And by the fact that I said pimp in church too, probably uh, (laughs) another good reason. But so Pimp My Ride was this great show uh, about um, Exhibit and his team who would take these old cars, old Dodge minivans from the 80s and 90s, you know, an Oldsmobile, they did a Gremlin, uh, all kinds of cars. They would take these cars and I guess folks would write in or their friends would try to help them. And so they would bring these cars in and they would repaint them. They would add these amazing stereo systems. They would put in other components and all this. But one of the things that they didn't do was touch the engine or deal with the transmission or handle any of the parts that actually make a vehicle run. So it looked shiny and new but it was still an old piece of junk. Can you imagine driving around a 19, late 80s, early 90s Dodge minivan looking so cool on the outside? Man, I just, I, I can't imagine how awesome that would be. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. So often we do all this stuff on the outside and the inside is worthless. So I wonder... How is that for us? And maybe you don't like cars or you don't care about MTV shows from the early 2000s, but you might like all these home improvement shows today. You're glued to HGTV or DIY, and one of my favorites is the No Demo Reno, where their goal is to not demolish your house, but only fix it relatively inexpensively with what you have. And I'm always amazed by that show and even our lovely Chip and Joanna Gaines and, and others, how, how at the end of that show, they, they reveal to you the one or two rooms that they've spent thousands of dollars with, but they fail to show you the other three rooms with 25-year-old carpet. <laughs> or my hand-me-down bedroom furniture from my grandparents. They don't show you that. It's all about the image. And yes, does it look great and it's wonderful, nice quartz countertop and beautiful gas oven and these new cabinets with the awesome handles because they always have cool handles on the cabinets. 
But do sometimes we miss the point? Perhaps like the entire nation of Israel who wanted this great king. That's why they were singing Hosanna because they wanted a great king to take over. Because their hearts were not in the right spot. Their faith was misplaced. And how often you and I do the same thing because you and I may look good, but the real question is, are our roots good? Is our inner person good because we've placed our hope and our trust in Jesus alone or we've done a great job of being religious people? That's the question. That's why Jesus looks at that fig tree and says, no one will eat from you again. That's why he goes in the temple and he runs those men out who are trying to take advantage of the people who, in their worship. So do we look good on the outside, but our heart is far from God? Think about it. In the book of Mark, the last miracle that Jesus performs is a miracle of death, not a miracle of life. He kills this tree to make a point, to make a dramatic point about how important faith is, how important fruitfulness is, how important it is to have a kingdom mindset rather than a me mindset. I'm still amazed by it because You see Jesus, who knows exactly where to send the disciples to find the colt that he can ride in on. He can read people's thoughts. He can feed 5,000 people like that. But he walks up to a fig tree and doesn't know that it doesn't have fruit. Like if I was just reading the Bible for the first time, I would think that's kind of weird. That... The guy who claims and has done all these things can't figure out how to get figs? That shows to me the importance, how even more important that it wasn't about him having a snack. It was about him showing us what a life of faith and faithfulness is really all about. He was showing the disciples a different way. It's a reminder to us that our faith is not an afterthought. It's a reminder to us that our lives should look like Jesus Christ, and if they look like Jesus Christ, then we will bear fruit. There will be a result from that. That you'll actually see, oh, wow, yes. You'll, You'll have a testimony to share, and you'll live differently. Because I trust that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. I heard that somewhere last week. And that if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, he has authority over my life. And so when they come back to this fig tree and it's dead, uh, some of you remember last year, one year ago, some of your trees died a year ago. Like we had a tree die, our Meyer lemon tree died. It was so sad. Because it blessed some of you, it blessed us a lot, and now it's just ugly. I cut it back some, but I left it there praying, hoping it would be revived and live again, but no. But they walk back by, and so every day I look at that, I'm reminded about how that tree will never bear fruit again, that Meyer lemon tree on the side of our yard. 
will never bear fruit again. And they walk by this fig tree and Peter points it out and says, hey, Jesus, there's that tree you cursed. Oh, yeah. Have faith in God. What? I don't understand that. Dead tree, faith in God. I've got it, Jesus. I'm, all, I'm with you. But you know what happens when you and I put our faith in God? Great things happen. Big things happen. Giant kingdom-sized things happen. Like you can say, hey, mountain, go to the sea. And those disciples were in a spot there on the Mount of Olives where they could actually see the Dead Sea from where they were standing. And they could see and, and picture it. They, they could understand what it means to take that mountain they were on and move it. The word actually means to uproot. Uproot this mountain and move it. And this is hyperbole. Exaggeration to make a point. God says, faith leads to mighty things. Faith leads to things that are bigger than you could ever think or imagine. And I'm constantly amazed. I'm amazed at how God wants to accomplish so much more in our lives than what we want to accomplish. God wants to do so much more in our lives than we ever attempt to think about. We're too concerned about which boy likes me or am I going to make it through 7% inflation? Like those are our worries. Those are the things that grab our attention. Is the music going to be good today? Will we get out by 1212? Hmm. Maybe. Right? Where are we going for lunch? Can I pass chemistry? Will I have to face that strange coworker tomorrow? Like we're consumed by just the ordinary things of life and God wants so much more from us. He wants so much more for us that we would think about the great things. And God is ready to respond to obedient believers. God, God is ready to move the mountain. And that might be a mountain that's in your way and preventing you from doing something, or it might be a mountain that you want to see moved and God do something amazing beyond your imagination. But he wants that to happen for us. Because there's no situation, no challenge too difficult for him. So do you and I believe in kingdom-sized matters? Do we, do we think about kingdom-sized things? Do you think about the 61,000 people who live within seven miles of us? Do you think about them? Because when our prayers match God's heart, mountains are moved. 
When you and I get on the same page as God, mountains get moved, things happen, amazing things. Like I, I, I'm going to tell you in our history at First Baptist, at least in the five and a half years I've been here, I've seen it happen. And I'll tell you one of the greatest ones is when in October, I had been here four months, four months I'd been here, when someone sitting right over there in a business meeting said, hey, uh, Mo, pastor, uh, why don't you try to buy King's Kids? Like someone in this room, not me, said, why don't you try to buy this old building? Hmm. Okay. That was after we said we wanted to buy Dunn Brothers, which actually happened. And we wanted to look at a house next door to the house we already own. And they said, why don't you go for all three? Are you kidding me? Who says let's just spend $1.7 million, give or take, and I'm not sure we have it. Like, amazing that we didn't get the house, that we did get King's Kids. And guess what? The very next summer, and for the next six months, God used that building to move mountains in people's lives. Because we were to open it and give people diapers and water and cleaning supplies after Hurricane Harvey. And then FEMA, of all places, the government. Hey, what do you know? The government used it. There's a mountain of all mountains. But, but I think about that. And I, I think about these past 18, well, no, I'll call it seven years now of COVID. Uh, how in the midst of that, how we got to be a blessing because in 1977, people gave half a million dollars to build our gym. And how our area schools, because they couldn't meet on campus, they couldn't have things, our extracurricular activities, they had their end of year banquets in our gym. Many of those people who gave $500,000 never saw that. I never saw it. There's a few still in Hard Church that were here in 1977. And how we launched Heritage Park. And that's the kind of thing that as I look at this passage and I say, Lord, move the mountain. And I say, Lord, how are we going to plant a church in League City Dickinson or maybe Manville? How are we? I don't know how we're going to do that. But I trust that you're going to do it. How are we going to finish out this so that people have a place to come and be connected? I, I don't know. But I believe that you can do it. I, I believe it. And so how am I praying? How am I living my life to bear fruit? A am I praying? Am I asking God, God, can I, me, David Lorenz, fill in your name? Can I reach one or two people out of that 61,000 that live in our area? I'm not sure that's a God-sized prayer. I'm not sure that's a kingdom kind of prayer. Lord, help me reach 10 people. For all you introverts, that would be giant prayer. That's mountain-moving prayer there, 10 people. But are you even praying for one? Are you even positioning your life so that you can invest in one or two people for the sake of the gospel? That, that's what Jesus is getting at here. Our outside may look shiny, but what's 
the inner man, the inner woman look like? Are we a person of great faith? Do we have faith in God? Am I praying every day for my classmates and my coworkers? Am I praying for them? Am I seeking God's presence in the moments of my days? Not just the hard moments, not just the tough moments, but in every moment. Am I celebrating by faith the victories that he gives me when when things are going awesome and amazing? Am I celebrating him and saying, Lord, you did this. You moved the mountain. Am I going to him when I'm in the valley and I can't see my way out? Have I committed myself to say, Lord, you've put me here in this place with these people as a part of a community of faith. Lord, am I committed to the vision of the church, not just because I have my presence here, but Lord, am I committed with all of my gifts and my talents? Am I committed with my resources, both financially and time, in a way that stretches my faith and reorganizes my priorities. Is that who I am? I can tell you there are times in the life of our church where that's true. But I also know that if it were fully true, that no church, not just First Baptist Friends, would, no church would ever struggle with preschool workers. And every church I know of does, including ours. No church would struggle with getting people to take the tall task of opening that door right there every Sunday and saying, hi, welcome to First Baptist. We would never have to do a capital campaign, and no church would, because we would be generous, fruit-bearing, faithful people. Because I know that when God moves mountains, it leads me to worship and praise and honor. And I see it over and over and over again in my own life, but the problem is my memory is short. And my guess is yours is too. And yet God has called us to ask for in his name. Now be careful. There's some other folks in our area that would say, hey, Name it and claim it. That's not what this is saying exactly. But how am I allowing my faith to be stretched by God? How am I investing in kingdom work? How are my priorities different so that I can bear fruit? How are they different? Or do I look good on the outside? Don't ask me to be anyone or do anything. Because I want to stay as I am. God never called us to stay as we are. And so we, can we trust in his authority today? Can we trust in his power? His power of death and life. He brings us to life. He promises us abundant life. I want to live in that abundant life. And that means I'm going to bear fruit. So let's allow God to move in us, to have for us to have faith in him and trust that if I live a life surrendered to him, every mountain I come across will be moved or he's going to help me find a way around it. That's God's promise. So let's live in God's promises. Let's rejoice that he believes in us. I want to rejoice in the fact that God believes in me and so that leads me to want to put my faith all the more in him. 
so that great things can be accomplished, so that he can do mighty works through us, wherever we are. We put our faith in him. Let's pray together.